Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If you notice in our bulletins, we have Latin titles for some of the Sundays of the church here. This occurs especially in Advent and during the Lenten and Easter seasons. Here's why. The titles are derived from the first words spoken in the service of the word. The invocation through the confession and absolution at the beginning of the service constitute what is often called the rite of preparation. What comes right after the absolution is the introit, words from usually the Psalms, but also from other portions of scripture. And that begins the service of the word. Years ago, the rite of confession and absolution was not found as part of the divine service. And the reason for it was Christians were expected to go to their pastor in, for, con, for individual confession, and especially the reason to go to confession is for the absolution which follows. And so they did that prior to receiving the sacrament. And contrary to what many Lutherans assume today, the practice of going to the pastor for confession and absolution continued for hundreds of years after the Reformation. It is a good practice, and it is taught in our catechism. So because there was no rite of preparation, the service began with the introit. The pastor would enter the chancel during that portion of the service. And so the very first words that were spoken in the divine service from the introit became the Latin titles for those Sundays in the church year. Last Sunday was known as Gaudeta, which is Latin for rejoice, because last Sunday our introit began with the same words as today's epistle reading from St. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. To reflect the joy that is expressed through the ministry of John the Baptist and from the introit, the church lights on the third Sunday in Advent the rose-colored candle on the Advent wreath. And then the church also uh, can have as a color in, for the pyramids, so we have blue here, color for hope, the church can also have rose-colored pyramids for the third Sunday in Advent, along with the fourth Sunday in Lent, uh, to demonstrate that, that particular joy of those Sundays. Today is the fourth Sunday in Advent, so now all four candles are lit. And with Philippians chapter 4 as our epistle reading, and having sung as our hymn of the day, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we continue to build on that theme of joy for it certainly is a joyous time. For we are preparing to celebrate with great joy the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, our Lord who comes in human flesh and makes his dwelling among us. At Christmas, we hear that God himself becomes one of us, and he does so to take away the sin of the world. Such joy it is, such joy it is to hear that Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, and such a joy it is to hear that John the Baptist, also fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies, came to prepare the way of the Lord, 
There is much joy to hear that sinners are baptized into Christ, confessing their sin. From the blessed apostles' words, we are taught to rejoice in the Lord. This seems particularly fitting before, for the last Sunday before Christmas. After all, Paul then continues saying, the Lord is at hand, that Christ is near. He is here. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. And we not only see that Jesus is born, but we also rejoice in the fact that he continues to come to be in our midst even to this day. He does so through his word and through the sacraments, and he will come again in glory to acquit us of all of our sin. Such joy. So let's talk a little bit about that theme of joy. If you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, you'll learn that joy is first the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Second, the expression or exhibition of such emotion. And third, joy, according to Webster, is a state of happiness. But is that all that joy is? Feeling happy because of success or good fortune? Or coming into possession the things that we desire? Woe to us, frankly, if that is all joy amounts to. If joy is simply happiness from good times, then many would be left without joy. And others would have a false sense of joy. C.F.W. Walther had a series of evening lectures in which he taught students on how to distinguish law and gospel and apply it accordingly. And in, in, in his lectures, he said, pity the person who is, a com who is accustomed to regarding himself as pardoned, that is forgiven by God, only when he is enjoying pleasant feelings. Pity the person who feels that they're forgiven when they, only when they are enjoying pleasant feelings. Many think that when they are having pleasant feelings or, or that emotion of joy as Webster defines it, then they are blessed and then they stand in God's grace and then their salvation is complete. But really, many don't always have that feeling. Too often, we turn religion into a mere emotion. We turn religion into simply a feeling or an experience. Some claim that the only way you can have confidence that you have God's saving grace is if you feel this burning in your bosom, that you feel it inside of you that you are somehow received into God's favor. The Bible doesn't teach that. And don't listen to those false teachers who would have you believe that the only confidence you can have of your salvation is found in a feeling within yourself. Because Christianity is far beyond a feeling. In Christ, we are truly pardoned by God because Jesus, not according to our feelings, came down into the world to take away our sin, but he did it according to his love, according to his mercy. He came into this world. We are declared acceptable to heaven, not because we feel that we should have it or because we have a feeling, but because Christ truly took away our sin and the Holy Spirit truly works faith in us, which receives the forgiveness of sins 
so that we are declared by God acceptable to heaven even when we do not feel it. God sent his son to be sacrificed on the cross so that we can be totally acquitted of all of our sin and of the death sentence that we deserve for our many sins. When we recognize that eternal salvation is granted to us solely by God's grace, then we can conclude that Christianity, that through Christianity, we receive far more than an emotion or a feeling or an experience. Clearly then joy also must go beyond simply a feeling of happiness from good times. In fact, if you recall, St. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 lists the various fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy is the second one mentioned. True joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, something that God the Holy Spirit works through his word. And God desires to only work with us in matters of faith through the word and through the sacraments. And because God works the fruits of the Spirit in us, that means God works joy in us as we hear his word and as we receive the sacrament. Sometimes we may feel joyful in the way that Webster defines it. And sometimes we do not. But regardless of how we're feeling, we can have joy in the biblical sense, as Paul writes. For joy, as you recall, is a fruit of the Spirit. We could even say joy happens just like good works happen. We may not feel like we're doing good works when we are engaging in a job that we do not want for a boss that we do not like. But as we do that job faithfully, we are truly engaging in good works, which are also fruits of the Spirit. So in the same token, the Holy Spirit then guides us to rejoice in the Lord, even when we are enduring times of need or want or trouble or suffering. For our joy is based not on a feeling, but on our standing with God, that we sinners are actually reconciled to God our Father and declared acceptable to him. When Paul wrote our epistle, he taught how we are to conduct ourselves toward God <clears throat> and also to our neighbor. The next verse says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That Greek word for reasonableness actually has many meanings. Some translations put it as gentleness. Or it could also be translated as moderation, forbearance, patience, selflessness, equity, or mildness. But these things be known to all men. Essentially, put the best construction on everything. And as a Christian, your desire is to be reasonable. That is, to be patient and selfless and mild. All of this comes from the joy of believing. And the joy of believing is that God and sinners are now reconciled through our Lord Jesus Christ. Many do not want us to dwell on matters of faith. Our culture frowns upon discussions on religion. They'll say, do not talk religion or politics, but instead talk about less controversial things like the weather, or perhaps sports. They figure keeping things peaceful with family and friends is only done by avoiding a few topics, especially religion. 
It is true that discussions on matters of faith expose deep division between people. But God would have it that we keep on discussing these matters so that we can work toward a God-pleasing resolution so that we can be united as we just sang in a come, O come, O come, Emmanuel. In fact, there's nothing more important to talk about than matters of religion and coming to agreement based on not agreeing to disagree or everyone just coming to a, as the same conclusion, but coming to agreement on the very word of God. And in doing so, we need to remember these words from our epistle. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Concerning this, Pastor Paul Kretzmann, who wrote the popular commentary on the Bible, writes, There must, of course, always be an uncompromising opposition to all that is evil and condemned by the word of God. But this must never result in gruffness and harshness, which would be incompatible with the spirit of Christ. And so when we're, when, when we're truly joyful for the things of God, we will open our mouths. We will speak God's truth. We will boldly testify of God's word. We will not be willing to concede a single point of doctrine, and yet we will be gentle as we remain firm to the word. And when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, many are unwilling to do this. Summarizing Luther, he says, until the heart believes in God, it is impossible to rejoice in him. When there is no faith, no trust in God, then man is filled with fear and gloom. At any mention or thought of God, he is disposed to flee, fleeing away. Unbelieving hearts are filled with enmity and hatred against God, for in unbelievers there is no confidence in God's gracious mercy. Unbelieving hearts rejoice in all the wrong things such as gold or silver, or eating or drinking, or power, or honor, wisdom, or skill, or friendship, or favor. But these are deceptive joys. They are false joys which fleet away with the changes and chances of life. They never truly stir the heart, for they are not rooted in the mercy and love of God. Instead, we rejoice in the Lord always, not just when we are around the pastor or in church or with other religious-type folks, but we rejoice in the Lord always, rejecting uh, all else but the Lord. Rejoicing the Lord is to put trust and confidence and glory in the Lord, to have true joy and peace in believing. After all, as it is written, the Lord is at hand. His advent is taking place. He is coming among us. He is coming to us today. He'll come again in glory. And that brings us joy knowing that despite the crosses that we have faced in this life, the hardships and challenges that we have borne, that Christ is still in charge of all things, he will come back and he will set everything right, and he will acquit us of our sins and deliver to us the gift of eternal salvation. Christ desires to deliver his believing children from all evil. And so when he returns, we will be with the Lord always. When he returns in glory, all anxiety, all affliction, all troubles and tribulations will be gone, and we shall always be with the Lord. And so we rejoice even now, knowing that we have received a glimpse of that presence of Christ through the sacrament and through his word, and knowing that it will be ongoing as we are with the Lord in paradise. 
Because Jesus has rescued you from sin, death, and the devil through his crucifixion and through his resurrection, you do have every reason to rejoice, even if you bear crosses or suffer or have many challenges in your life. Because you, at the same time, have the greatest comfort. You have every reason for hope. You have Christ as your advocate and savior. There is joy and peace in believing. In fact, God fills you with this joy and peace. The joy of believing is that you are set free from your sin, that you have a God who can identify with your troubles and temptations because Jesus became a man. And you have a God who will hear your prayers and answer them. And you have a God who will bring you safely to be with himself in heaven. The peace in believing is that you are justified, that you are forgiven, you are acquitted of all that you have done. Everything for your salvation has already been earned in Jesus Christ. You have peace of believing, even though you may not have peace with this world, but it means you have peace with God. Your warfare is ended. God is not your enemy. He is your friend who laid down his life for you on the cross. Behold, God comes to you, your God comes to you. You may, look, you may look forward to the return of Jesus with the same joy and anticipation as you look forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus at Christmas. You can look up and lift up your heads in joy, for your redemption draws near. Therefore, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.